Thanks for listening to this podcast. Today we interviewed Julia Fuette, a longtime member of the Teaching American History Network and graduate of our Master of Arts in American History and Government program. This is an outstanding 30-some-odd minutes of ideas and perspectives from her. She has deep experience teaching in the classroom and deep experience teaching online. So she's talking about moving from one to the next and how, uh, how she did that and how she teaches online successfully now. So give it a listen and let others know about this. We hope that this helps you as you uh, deal with whatever your situation is requiring of your instruction in your time now. Thanks so much. So I'm here with Julie Fouette. She is a 2012 graduate of Ashbrook's Master of Arts in American History and Government program. And she's going to talk to us today about some of her experiences with and perspectives on teaching history online. So Julie, first off, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much and all that's going on right now for giving us some of your time. Uh, I really appreciate that and we hope that this is going to be a benefit to folks in our network. As we get started, we get into the questions. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and how you came to teach online? Yes. So thank you again for having me, Jeremy. I appreciate it. In 2008, I began teaching history and government in a brick-and-mortar private school. And I did that for some time until about 2015. And, of course, in that process, I attended the MAG program and got my master's degree in And so I was looking to move into the college content if possible. And so in 2015, I moved into teaching dual enrollment classes for U.S. history for uh, Vista Murrieta High School in California in partnership with Mount San Jacinto College. And I was loving that job, but we just decided that it was time for a change. So we wanted to leave California and come to Montana. And so we made that decision for our family in June of 2018. And we moved to Missoula, Montana, and there sadly weren't many teaching opportunities here. It's a smaller state, and smaller city, and so I was very blessed that Mount San Jacinto College was willing to allow me to continue teaching U.S. history for them in an asynchronous class online course, and so they allowed me to do that, and since then I've continued teaching for them, but also now I'm teaching for a second online school, a K-12 through classical online school, um, Veritas Scholars Academy. So I've got both synchronous and asynchronous classes going on now. Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. So then you have several years of experience teaching in a traditional classroom environment. And then you, on top of that, you have the experience in an asynchronous online and a synchronous online. Correct. Yes. That's, that's excellent. What would you say are the most essential differences? Like when you moved out of the the traditional classroom completely now, almost two years ago, year and a half ago, what are the biggest differences between the traditional classroom and doing so online? And if you could address both the synchronous and the asynchronous, because my sense is that we've got teachers out there who are being faced with both those. Yes. And I think that's the key difference is you have to figure out what you're able to do in either the synchronous environment or asynchronous. I mean, honestly, after teaching both now, I think a hybrid is ideal if you can do synchronous activities with your student, but also allow, especially for introverted students, those asynchronous um, environments as well. But I think no matter what, for both environments, it actually takes much more of your time than you would think. Um, there's kind of a stigma out there that being an online teacher is easier. It doesn't require as much work. 
And actually it requires more of your time because there's continuous interaction that's having to take place because of the fact that you're not seeing students at a set time every week. And so you're having to make sure that you're, um, you know, setting up chats with either individual students or group students, um, especially in an asynchronous environment. You have to make sure that you're commenting on their work every week, that you're setting up times as a group to have discussions, that you're having um, online discussions as well. You've got to make sure you're, as an instructor that you're giving regular constructive feedback uh, before in a live class, you know, I could just look at a student and say, hey, you're doing a great job. Now you can't do that. You've got to, especially if you have large classes, like for the college, I have 40 students and I have three sections. So that's 120 people that I'm trying to stay connected with every week. And so you've got to, that that's harder to juggle than you might actually realize. So making sure that you're setting aside time, not just for the delivery of content, but staying connected with the students on an individual and on a group level and making sure that there's weekly interaction between students, whether it's a lecture time that's either live or filmed, discussions, open lab periods, all of those things I think are really important. So probably the, the kind of summary would be continuous feedback, uh, interaction between students and making sure that there are discussions going on. Okay. Now you said that you believe a, a hybrid of the synchronous and asynchronous would be the ideal. What do you recommend? I mean, because obviously we don't know teachers out there being, I mean, I, I've, I've heard like lots of people be, kicking around the idea, well, we're going to use Zoom meetings. We're going to use Zoom. And Zoom right. obviously has a lot of, uh, of you know, capabilities. But um, if, if someone had an opportunity to do something like that, to have some kind of hybrid of the synchronous and asynchronous what would your i mean what suggestions would you have like where would where would be those ways that you would say to hey someone who's never taught online listen do this in a synchronous try to do this synchronously and try to do this asynchronously so i think that having a discussion in a synchronous fashion is the best uh like a socratic style where maybe you're analyzing a document for example you're looking at a speech you're going through some document-based questions and then you're having some detailed discussion and trying to connect it to connections of what's going on today. I think that is important to have in a synchronous setting. The problem is, is that you're going to have a difficult time, especially with everything that's going on in our nation right now, getting people to commit to certain hours every week that they can meet with you. So requiring that is why asynchronous is necessary. So for example, I always film my lectures in an asynchronous format. I use Zoom, actually, and I film them with Zoom, but then I put them online so that my students can watch them when they have the time to watch it, so that they're not required to be in class to hear the lecture. And it's actually a good thing because unlike a live class where if you miss class, you miss the lecture, my students can go back and then review the lecture and go over the notes if they need to. and But you still need to have those times where you're setting up and saying, hey, at 10 a.m. on Monday, I'm going to be online. We're going to have discussion and get students there to have the discussion with you. But to require it is actually one of the things you, you can't necessarily do in an online environment with a lot of schools because of people's schedules. Okay. All right, that that makes sense. So that you could potentially 
And this actually leads into our next question of, well, what do you think is the best way to convey information? You know, obviously in a history class, there's there's a piece of a history class that's just flat out the students have to take in information so that you can do something with it. So you're saying if you're going to lecture, for example, if you're going to be do direct instruction, record it. And if students can can be there for that live experience, they could they could ask questions and things like that. But then that entire moment is archived and people could watch it if they they can't be there for that time. Right. And that was actually a really good tip that I got when I started online teaching when it comes to this, because you're right. History to me is a story. So to take lecture out of history, I think is ridiculous. You can't do that. You need to be able to weave the story of what you're telling. So for example, if I'm going to do a, a chapter lecture for the whole week on the new deal, I can't like I would in a traditional class go on for an hour and a half lecture. No one's going to listen to that online. So what I end up doing is actually filming five short lectures, usually no more than 15 minutes. And so those, the lectures that I'm filming are short enough that students could watch them on their phones. They could listen to it in their car. And it's not just me going on and on and on. And so you make them in these small enough chunks that the students are able to digest it and be able to move on to the next chunk. And so that's something that was a really great tip that the online instructor gave me was to not film these long lectures mm-hmm. like you would in a live class, but to break it up in small um, bite-sized chunks. Yeah, because in, uh, learning from home or learning through a distance format is it's not just taking the traditional classroom and, and squeezing it through the Internet. It actually has to look different. Correct. And then I had to do different assignments to make sure that students are actually watching and digesting the information in those lectures. So I came up with this idea of lecture interactive. So, you know, if I was just going through, for example, maybe the causes of the Great Depression in one 15 minute video, then I would have another assignment online that they could do in an asynchronous format where I'd have a map that they would answer questions about or an argument that they would have to make or um, you know, various activities that they would do to make sure that they actually went through the lecture content. That's not something I would typically do in a live class. I wouldn't need to do that because I would be able to have activities in person. So you still have to make sure that you're making students accountable for what you're teaching them in the direct instruction. Okay, that's really interesting. I, that that just made me think, and this you just led me to our next question about trying to foster some deeper thinking and some discussion of some sort. If you were to then, let me just make sure I understand this, you provide, say, a 15-minute, what I call like the 30,000-foot view lecture that says, here's this topic, you know, here, are the, here are the generally accepted causes of the Great Depression, and then you provide them with like you maybe a maybe a document that is connected to that topically and then ask them a series of questions and you know ask for responses that is it sounds to me like you're saying they're going to take the information you convey to them via direct instruction in that short lecture and they're going to use that to better understand the document the map the things like that and then they're going to demonstrate to you their degree of knowledge and understanding through the questions you ask about that that artifact or that image or whatever it is you give them, that's what you're asking them to do. You're not just going to say, hey, here's some questions, regurgitate to me what I said to you in the lecture. Exactly. Yeah, and then you're pushing them to primary sources. You're getting them to the content that they actually need to be able to learn the skills, how to analyze that document, how to, um, you know, look at the map, 
how to analyze an argument. And so, yeah, you've, you've got to make them accountable for actually learning, not just regurgitating information that you've, you've taught them. And, and another way that you can do that as well is through a discussion, a discussion board. And I, I've taken some online classes and initially I was really hesitant to have an online discussion because I thought it was kind of silly. But as time's gone on, I've actually realized that it's actually a really useful tool because in a live class, if I ask questions during my lecture, I might have a few students who raise their hands and answer. And that's just because those are the, you know, the people who want to talk and everyone else is quiet. But the cool thing about online is you get to hear, I hear from every student every week. And so that quiet student in the corner in a live class, I actually get to hear their perspective in an online class through the message board. And so not only do I deliver that content, for example, about the causes of the depression, and then I have the lecture interactives where they have the various questions that they have to work through, then we'll actually go and we'll read, you know, Franklin Roosevelt's speech how he's going to use war powers to attack the depression. So then we're going to take that and we're going to take it even deeper and have a, a deeper conversation in the weekly message board. And then we're going to actually connect it to events that are going on today. So it's kind of the scaffolding process where it's just taking them deeper and deeper into the theme and the content that I'm trying to get them to understand. Yeah, that's excellent. I can see where that would that those those different lesson portions your direct instruction say a document a series of questions and then their interaction i mean you could i am just pulling this out of the air right now i mean especially if if for those of you who are teaching high school my guess is that you know maybe facebook is old hat for a 15 year old now but i mean you could create a facebook group and make it private and have your discussions, your, your students could discuss topics and discuss these things asynchronously there. But it really makes sense to me what you're saying, this, this scaffolding and this building and this articulation between the different parts that actually will promote or could promote a lot of, of deep thought and learning, not just... Yeah, and something ahead. else to add about the discussions too is it depends on the platform that your school is giving you. So whether you're using something like Schoology or Canvas or Blackboard, I know mm -hmm. Canvas is one of the popular ones, but it depends on the ability that you have. So for example, we use mainly Canvas and my students, not only can they respond to the discussions in typed format, but they can actually respond by video. Oh, wow. So that's one of the things I've been requiring this year is not only do you have to post initially to the, the various questions that I have for the discussion each week, you have to do your initial response typically by Wednesday, but then by Sunday, they have to reply to three other students. And one of those replies has to be a video reply. And so this is a great way for me as the instructor to get connected with them and their personality. I get to see them. I get to see how they talk. I get to, you know, they make connections to their own lives. I get to see what's behind them on the webcam. And so I'm able to comment like, Hey, I like your wallpaper just things like that that are able to still allow me to feel connected to the students and 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 they really like it. I mean they'll they'll put different hats on. I mean, I've had a student do a TikTok video as her live reply for that week, so they just get really creative and it actually makes it fun. You know, it, it's interesting that you know, you've got students that you teach remotely that you will never meet in person. Correct. Whereas what we're talking about here is is 
teachers teaching their own students through this other medium for some undetermined period of time. And so I think that that need to stay connected to people you already know, students as people, which sounds kind of silly, but I think we need to remember that sometimes. Um, so you you use this as a means to get familiar with and, and connected with your students. Um, how do you think, and this is maybe just conjecture on, on your part right now, how do you think teachers who suddenly find themselves in a position where there are 140 or 150 students that they saw every day, now they're not going to see for some period of time, how do they continue using, how do they use these online resources to continue some sense of connection with their students as people and support them as people? Well, I always have a general discussion board that I leave open for the entire semester. And so that's somewhere where often I'll post something every week, like a funny question or a quote, or I'll put up a comic or a picture or something that I want them to respond to, you know, who inspires you this week? Or, um, you know, if you had a time machine, what, who would you go back and visit and why? And so I just do something fun like that. And, and a lot of times the students are eager to participate in that. It's not for points, but it's a way for us to stay connected and I think that that's going to become even more relevant as we have, you know, these isolations can, mm-hmm. if they continue for longer periods of time that you're going to see students that are actually eager for that. And if you say, Hey, on Monday, I have office hours. So usually it'll be like Monday and Wednesday nights from seven to 8 PM. I'm just there in my zoom classroom ready for students. If they want to come in, I also use Adobe connect for my other school that I teach for. And so I'm just there and students will come in and, and we'll talk and we'll hang out. And, you know, so those are opportunities that you could do as well. That's fascinating. So you, what you're saying is if, if a teacher has the capacity to host or access some kind of discussion boards, which th- things like Schoology and Canvas, they all have that capacity, correct? Correct. So what you're suggesting is have your content and curriculum focused discussion boards, but create one that's just you know, the, it's the passing period. Exactly. That's really yeah, like neat. a homeroom. I think that's a really good idea because then that enables them to keep up with one another as a class entity and as people, and it allows you to drop in. You know, I'm just thinking, here we are, we're using Google Hangouts to, to meet for this and, and record the audio for this. I mean, potentially a teacher could use a Google Calendar to create Hangouts to create those office hours, let students subscribe to that calendar and you just open up the hangout and you sit there. Exactly. Anyone who shows up, shows up. That would, that's, that's outstanding. Um, okay. Talking about tools, we mentioned canvas, we mentioned, uh, Schoology, Google hangouts, Google calendar. Do you have any other online tools or resources that you would consider to be the best? And I guess in this case, what I'll mean as best is, the threading the needle or balancing between flexibility and and number of features and also ease of uptake because obviously we've got a bunch of teachers out there who are trying to sip from a fire hose face on. Well, it, it it's hard because it depends on what the teachers are going to have access to right. with their school. You know, so I are they? I know that Zoom. I, I think I read an article that they're making Zoom accounts available to people for free because yeah. of what's going on right now. So I personally like Zoom. That's what I use to film my lectures. Actually, is I use I, so Zoom is helpful. 
um, so obviously. We, so you're I, using I, you're using Zoom. I just want to make sure because what I'd love people to walk away with is like, hey, listen, I know I can use this Zoom thing, but I don't know what I can do with it. So you're recording your lectures. You right. are also using Zoom to do your office hours. Yes. And you're yes. using Zoom to do live discussions. Yes, and and I assume that I'm not super familiar with Google, but I know that Google with what we're doing with Hangouts right now that you probably could do the same thing that you could record the audio and the video when you're in your room and then download it either to your computer or to a cloud and then upload it somewhere wherever you're making your um, stuff known to your students, whether that's Canvas or Schoology or whatever you're using, that they could then go and use it. You could even actually post it on YouTube if you really wanted. So Schoology and Canvas – both offer, do they both offer discussion boards? Yes, they do. Okay. So the asynchronous side of a classroom could be covered with Schoology or Canvas and a Google Classroom as well. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So those are three places where if you're interested in having an asynchronous side to your instruction, you could turn to. Are there any other, any other best online tools or resources you would point people to and say, this is what you can accomplish from that? I also think that if you're not going to use something like Zoom to look into Adobe Connect, I've been using that for my synchronous classes, and I'm really, really happy with that. There's a lot that you can do, um, maybe something to have your school look into. They have the ability to do breakout rooms. I, you can do this with Zoom as well, yeah. but it seems like Adobe Connect is more geared towards teachers. There's all these apps you can bring in, like uh, stopwatches, and I can pull in my PowerPoint and I have all these pods. I can do live polls with my students. So Adobe connect is probably my top favorite when it comes to anything synchronous. Okay. Now what about resources? That is places that a teacher would point their students to get content. Well, obviously teaching American history.org, uh, Gilder Lehrman Institute of American history is one of my favorites when it comes to primary sources as well. Uh, the Brown University Choices Program is excellent oh, right. because it's got all of those live simulations and activities you can do with students, which I think would be really helpful in an online environment and relevant and fun for students to participate in. The Stanford History Education Group yep. has a lot of great uh, history documents for and activities and excitement always has tons of lesson plans that you could easily adapt to synchronous or asynchronous online courses. Those are my top favorites. Okay. Anyway, and to add to that, to the folks who are listening, um, I'm going to put in the, uh, on the, on the page where this podcast is posted and therefore it'll show up in the show notes. I will put a link directly to our TAH.org's new resources page for, for online teaching for this, for this period of time. We're assembling, uh, lists of documents readers, archive podcasts, and YouTube videos that could be used for direct instruction, um, lesson plans, all kinds of things that we've scoured through the site and said, look, we think these things as content resources would be really useful now. So there will be a link in the show notes that will take you to that. For, for We're curating and putting it all in one place for you. Well, and one thing too, Jeremy, I want people to know is that they don't need to get too overwhelmed with having to learn all of this new way of doing things because I was overwhelmed when I had to take this college course that I had been taking for teaching for three years and then adapt it to an asynchronous online 
environment, I was very overwhelmed and I had to teach myself everything, how to use Canvas, how to use Zoom. And so my, my advice to people would be, don't get too bogged down in learning all these new tools right away, but instead figuring out how you can take what you're already doing and adapt it to the online environment. And, and that's what I did. What, what can I, how, how can I deliver a lecture, which was my favorite way, an interactive lecture that I would do live? How can I do that in the online environment? So that's how I came up with those short 15-minute chunks and then the interactives and then the discussion. So I think that would be the better focus for people is to take what they're already doing so well in their face-to-face classrooms and figure out how they can do the same thing in a modified format in the online environment. So focus, try to do less and do it well, then try to do everything and do it poorly. Correct. And you know, it's, what's interesting. You just made me think in, in, in talking about the, your, the way that you've approached lectures is, you know, and I used to teach American history and government, you know, you always, you want to have that great lecture. It's great, short, pithy lecture that, that elicits all kinds of great discussion. And you're right. It's always like one fifth of the class. You know, your lecture discussion is you and a couple of kids, whereas right. you actually might have a lecture that genuinely creates a, a discussion that students can be thoughtful about because they're doing they're doing the, the discussion portion of it, at least partially asynchronously. So that's that's kind of an odd, perhaps silver lining to this, that that could be something you could you could tease out of this as a teacher. Yeah. And it's also, it, it, it evens the playing field. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, it provides equity because think about it. If you're not someone who is an auditory learner, you're going to struggle with lectures. So in an online environment, when you can watch it and you can have closed captioning, for example, I know zoom will close caption your videos for you. As long as you, you click that, uh, that when you set up your video, um, and I'm pretty sure does Google hangouts have the ability to do closed captioning? Um, I know Google does have, or not not Google. I don't know. I know. I know that YouTube though does have a yes. a, but it 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 can be spotty. Yes, but still, I mean, it it, it provides some ability right. for people to go back. They can review the content. They can learn it in an environment that maybe is better suited to their learning style. So I've actually really had my mind open to this possibility of online teaching in a way that I realize that it can be just as great as what you can do in a face-to-face classroom, that it, it's different, that's for sure. There, There's differences, but there is not a lack of learning that can take place. That's excellent. That's excellent. And since you have existed in both worlds and you now operate in both of the online worlds, the asynchronous and the synchronous, I think that your your perspectives and your ideas are especially useful and informative at this time for those folks who, again, are, are being faced with this in some form that's probably, frankly, ill-formed, because as is the norm, you know, it's, it's the, 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 the get it done is dropped on the teacher. And another good thing to huh. encourage people, too, is the fact that I think online learning actually encourages mastery in some ways more than it can in a face-to-face classroom, because it allows students the flexibility of when and where and sometimes even how they're going to engage in the instruction instead of that traditional come in my room, sit down in a classroom, sit here for a few hours, then go home and isolated, do your homework. The online environment kind of breaks down those barriers. And I'll give you an example of 
how I've kind of changed and had a paradigm shift when it comes to quizzing online. So in face-to-face classes with quizzes, it would be like, here, okay, our weekly quiz, 20 questions, here's your grade, let's move on. Well, in the online environment, I was challenged by the person who helped me learn my different modalities and skills um, at MSJC. He said, you know what? You want to encourage mastery. You need to give them more than one attempt to take the quiz. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's wrong. Heresy. I no. And I actually, he's right. So it, instead of a just one 20 question quiz, I'll have a 50 question bank for the quiz. And it's only a 20 questions that they actually take, but I give them two attempts. So they're going to get multiple questions. Sometimes they'll get repeated. Sometimes they won't. But the more questions they see, the more knowledge they're going to gain. And so that was a real paradigm shift for me to recognize that I don't need to trick them into what they know on the spot in this moment, but instead encourage them to actually learn by taking the quiz multiple times and learning the content. That's now, I don't do that for exams. I only sure. do that for the quizzes every, on a weekly basis. The exam is still a one attempt, but I've really seen success in allowing students the multiple attempts when it comes to acquiring the content. You know, I think, too, that, uh, and this obviously would, would depend on the flexibility that a teacher in a given state or district is is afforded by their administration. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. My guess is there are probably teachers out there who are being told, you your, your class is from 9 to 9, you know, 9 o'clock to 9.53. You have to have class from, you know, I mean, I, I, who knows what this looks like from person to person as to how they're supposed to do this. But, but the fact that, you know... You could, instead of doing daily lesson plans, you could think of it as like, here's a two or three day period and we're going to look at these things. And so there's an asynchronous and a synchronous portion to it, which gives both the teacher and the students flexibility to, to access the content, do that thinking, respond, produce the things that they need to produce. Yes, that's actually 100% correct. And I, I do that. For me, it's a weekly so our week always starts on Monday and it finishes on Sunday. And so the content, my module is open for them for the entire week. And they are able to pick and choose when they want to do things as long as everything is done by Sunday. Right. And so that gives them the, the flexibility that you're talking about. Well, do you have any final uh, bit, like pearls of wisdom that, that, you would, that you would share? Because you've given us so many right now. Um, I think that consistency is very important. Um, It's being organized and being consistent in what you're requiring of students every week. And so it's going to be a huge learning curve for both the instructor and for students as they move into online environments. But if you can be consistent in what you're expecting each week so that you get into a comfortable rhythm and pattern of your class, it'll help both you and your students. And also, as I mentioned earlier, don't try to do too much. Take what you're already doing so well, which I assume with our audience, that's hopefully people using primary sources and making connections to discussions of what has been said in the past and trying to connect it to what's going on today. Do that. Have those discussions. Require um, live if you can, 
but understand that it's going to be much more difficult to require people to show up at certain times in an online environment. So you have to be flexible to allow asynchronous and, and recognize that learning can still take place and, and connect with those students in that open forum and use the tools that are out there, but don't get too overwhelmed with trying to research and instead make it a priority to connect with your students and deliver the content in a way that allows your passion to come out. Well, that's excellent. I, I really appreciate, like, I, I feel like I've learned a bunch in, in talking with you here. And so we're going to go ahead and put this up and hopefully folks will, will, you know, pull out of it what they, what they can and, and, uh, and apply it and help their students out and keep their stress level as low as possible. Um, so Julie, I really appreciate your, your time today and, or Julia, I'm sorry. Why did I just call you Julie? Um, oh, no worries. Uh, anyway, I really appreciate your time and, uh, we'll let you know what the response is and good luck in, uh, continuing what you're doing with your students. It sounds like you're really doing good by them. Thank you. And I think it would probably be helpful to have maybe an open forum or some type of discussion that we could have with teachers who could get together and if they have questions or need some guidance. I know I had questions and mm -hmm. I would be I would have been loving to have people respond and help me and I kind of figured it out on my own. So it is possible. So don't get overwhelmed. But if anyone needs help, I'd always be willing to offer some help as well on a one on one basis. All right. I will go ahead. I'll look into a, a way that we might be able to facilitate that. Yeah, that would be great. Well, thank you, Jeremy, for your time as well. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We hope to have more special podcasts, programs, and resources for you in the near future. That is over the coming days and weeks. And in the show notes of this podcast are links to some of the resources that Julia talked about and some of the resources that you can get to on teachingamericanhistory.org that we mentioned in the show as well. Thanks so much.